Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Lou, back on the airwaves. Well, technically, I was actually back yesterday, but uh, I was calling in remote, finally over uh, the non-COVID illness that had knocked me out for the past uh, almost week, really, actually. It's, uh, everyone I know right now basically is sick, which includes now Alex, by the way, who has uh, Alex Wong, co-host, producer, has been really holding it down for the show. I know he's uh, at home right now, um, maybe listening, maybe just, you know, sleeping off the fever or whatever, but whatever it is, Alex, you know, get well soon. Um, hope it's not what I had because it was tough. Um, but you know, the show must go on. And so I'm, I'm back at the studio. It's uh, it's Tuesday, which means, uh, it's, it's Blake Murphy Tuesdays. Um, and so we will get him on the line because, um, like I said, everybody right now is down kind of bad. And so Blake is, uh, going to join us remotely, um, once we get him on the line here. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those times where you, you think of the Raptors and um, I guess no one's here to join, <laughs> join me to talk about them because they're playing that bad right now. Losing streak hits six. The Raptors lose to Philly last night. Um, I got to say it was a really hard-fought game. Uh, I, I much prefer seeing that version of the Raptors than uh, whatever they showed against Golden State, which was not basketball. Um, they were uncompetitive in that game. You know... Not many people gave them uh, much of a chance. Second out of a back-to-back, um, you know, the line I think was Sixers minus seven and a half. I think after the first quarter, it was Sixers minus ten and a half. And you know, the Raptors did force overtime. You know that you know there is at least some um, some strength in I think looking at the positives because when you look at the Raptors right now, it's just about finding any way possible to get out of this funk. You're losing six games in a row. You know, you got to get out of it and. Um, you know, at least yesterday, you saw them play with the required level of defense, the required level of um, intensity on that front. And that's what you need to do in order to uh, at least give yourself a chance to compete. We all know that the Raptors are not that nice of a team offensively, right? We, we just know that. Um, and last night, even with overtime, even with another five extra minutes, the Raptors finished with 101 points. Um, but what kept them in it was their defense and, and, and also what Pascal Siakam contributed last night, which was was excellent. Um, but I think first and foremost, though, you just need to see that kind of defensive effort every single night. That, that can't be a question. That can't be something that's in doubt each and every single game. And, um, you know, right now for the Raptors, if they can play that level of defense, then, yeah, they can compete. And honestly, if they play that level of defense against New York, even though New York's on a, a win streak, you know, I, I believe that the Raptors can take this game and, and 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 snap the losing streak and at least flip it around a little bit. We'll see how much that really matters at the end of the season, if that changes what the Raptors do at the trade deadline. And we're going to get to all that. But the whole point right now is just, look, the help is not coming tomorrow. The help is not coming after Christmas. You know, the front office is not going to be saying, hey, well, happy, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, we, we've brought you a center finally for the first time in three years. No, it's, it's going to be the same roster that, that leaves – on December 23rd, it's the same roster that's going to come back after Boxing Day. And, you know, the, the, this group itself has to sort of figure out how to turn it around. We have Blake Murphy on the line. Blake, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? 
I'm not gonna say I'm good. Let's let's be real. I know you're not good. I know I'm not good. But uh, yeah. you know, we're we're here to you know make this Raptors content that I'm sure people are desperately looking for after they've lost six straight. Producer, are we still doing drops? We- Blake Murphy, remote. special one it is a special one Blake you know we, we got to change it up after the Raptors lose uh, six in a row so uh th- yeah the vibes are are the vibes are off I'm not gonna lie the vibes are off in in the locker room outside the locker room in the studio right now but uh yeah any uh can we start with the positives from yesterday first what why why not nobody wants to hear about the positives oh, <laughs> oh they they lost in why slightly not? less embarrassing fashion oh they have the whole stat everyone keeps tweeting about, you know, oh, they have the most one uh, uh, single-digit loss is like, okay, cool. So the positive here is that instead of just losing regular, they're losing in the most painful way possible. What cool. was? I mean, come on, Blake. They, they competed hard. They had a lead in the fourth quarter. And uh, remember when Chris Boucher hit that three and it was like, wow, the Raptors <laughs> are really doing this. And then I think yeah. the stat is that over the next nine minutes of regulation and overtime, the Raptors had five points. Yeah, they had five points. And some of that was, you know, there's good process in there. If you if you play 82 games and you keep giving Fred Van Vliet and creating Fred Van Vliet that many open three-point looks, more of them will drop in. And if you want to be, you know, if you want to take, like, the super optimistic view, those losses to Brooklyn and Philadelphia, if you play like that every game, you're going to win way more than you lose. Those were good games and good losses. The tough part is it's six in a row and there has just been so much of, well, oh, they played well and it was this, or they played well and it was that. And that stuff is fine every so often. And you could kind of give yourself comfort with that, you know, on a two or three game losing streak, or you drop some to good teams. But this is a pretty extended pattern at this time. Like they're four and 14, no, four and 11 over their last 15. That's pretty bad and no matter the injury qualifiers or the hey two of the last three losses were were better losses quote unquote I don't think you can really feel that good about that right now because it just it keeps happening in one way or another oh Blake listen I'm not telling anyone to feel good about this there is nothing to feel good about with the Raptors I was just trying to say did they do some things more competitively yesterday which I I mean of course you agree um the defensive effort so I mean look listen I don't know why this even has to be in question all the time, but the Raptors had been really struggling up late defensively. They went through a stretch of like basically going back to that New Orleans game when they, you know, um, you know just got destroyed by Zion and the next game where they got destroyed uh, by Brooklyn and and that sort of started the whole fall here. The, over that whole stretch, the, the, the least amount of points that the Raptors gave up was like 108. And that was to uh, the Orlando Magic when the Raptors uh, beat them after that team meeting. So... After that, they had given up three games of 126 points. They had another game where they gave up 124, right? None of these were in, in overtime, by the way. Just, just straight regulation, 126 points allowed. At least they, they cut that down, right? And, and they actually held the Sixers to under 100 um, in, in regulation. Why has the defensive effort been so inconsistent from them? Like, if, if they just defended like that more often, like, we wouldn't be here talking about the fact that they've had, they're, they're on a six-game losing streak. No, you're right. And they've brought that defensive level against the team like Philly. Uh, the last time they had a defensive rating in a game that was that good was back at, uh, when they beat Cleveland toward the end of November. Okay. Um, the 
absence of that stuff against teams like Orlando and Sacramento or, or a shorthanded Golden State team uh, is pretty frustrating. Like, if, if you looked at their game logs and you saw, well, you gave up a lot of points to Boston and Brooklyn, you'd be okay with that. You you can find your way to understanding those things, especially, you know, with the, the absences the Raptors have had and stuff. But, yeah, it's this inconsistency of, I guess, attention to detail or, or execution of the game plan that's come up over and over. And there was a stretch, you know, earlier in the season, and they were surviving this where it was one really bad quarter, right? Like, they'd give up 40 in the first quarter, and then they'd have to play from behind, but eventually they'd catch up and make it work. You can only really do that when you're a really good team that has room for error, though. Uh -huh. And I think we've yep. seen in some of these games, especially, you know, the five losses before last night, that those lulls defensively, they weren't the type where, like, a very good version of this Raptors team, even last year, early this year, could have those lulls and then turn it on and find that extra gear defensively. What we're seeing lately is that they don't have that extra gear to find. And I thought, you know, last night, the the way they defended well was actually pretty funny because the one thing that's been like very, very consistent with how they've defended poorly is opponents are getting to the rim and scoring at the rim at like a top 10 rate. Both of those things can't be true. You'll get destroyed over the long haul and then you go up against a team with Joel Embiid and that's the game where you allow like nothing at the rim um Embiid was like kind of disengaged for a lot of that game other than when he bowled people to, to get to the free throw line so they did do a better job of that I don't know like I don't have a, a tactical prescriptive reason for why they keep having these extended lulls or come out flat. I actually thought, and I, I DM'd you about this, like starting the game last night with Scotty Barnes on Joel Embiid, mm. my reaction to that was not, I know you tweeted that like, oh goodness, like is this what the coaching staff wants? I kind of thought that maybe that was a way of like forcing everyone to be on the ball right out of the gate defensively because one, it's going to wake Scotty up defensively really, really quickly. And for as much flashes as he shows offensively, and we can do the whole Scotty conversation, he hasn't been very locked in defensively for the most part this year. So you get him, you know, if you're not locked in against Joel Embiid, you're going to get hammered physically. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is because it's a Scotty Barnes matchup, everyone else has to be like pretty sharp with their, rotations and their help and their zone coverages and stuff like that. So I kind of wondered, and I wasn't in Philadelphia to ask, but I, I did kind of wonder if that was more about just making sure everyone starts well and, and is dialed in defensively. And then that first quarter ended up being one of the best defensive quarters in like recent memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, listen, I, I thought, look, Scotty obviously didn't contribute that much offensively last night. Although he did have the Raptors only basket in overtime, by the way, five whole <laughs> minutes, the Raptors had one basket Okay, um, but I, I thought Scotty's defense, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, I thought it was really good. I, I think that that was the pivotal part that sort of kept the Raptors in the game because clearly it was an offense. Like, you know, Pascal <laughs> made his run. He was scoring. Chris Boucher tossed in that one random three, and it was like, okay, all right, so now we have a seven-point lead. How do we hold on to the seven-point lead for the next five minutes? And you know what? What the Raptors did was the the main thing the Sixers wanted to do was play through Harden and then play through Embiid, right? Like in the pick and roll action there. And what they wanted to do was get Fred involved, right? And and you know they were putting Fred on Melton away from the action, but you know you had Scotty lining up 
and pressuring the ball against Harden at the end of the game, and then you had OG on Joel Embiid. Now, of course, you didn't want to put OG on Embiid the whole game because he literally just came back from injury, and and you just don't need to, like, uh, have him banging somebody who's, like, twice his, you know, size for the whole match. Like, you're going to get in foul trouble. You're going to lose your energy. You're not going to have legs. You know, all that kind of stuff. So... But late game, that's the action that they wanted because they can then switch those pick and rolls, keep Harden from getting downhill, keep Embiid from, you know, catching it on the move where he's basically unstoppable, uh, and then sort of keeping um, essentially the defense or the offense in front of them, right? That was the whole idea of of that action. And I thought Scotty did a really good job of not only um, guarding his matchup in terms of against Harden, against Embiid, but also at the same time, like when the Sixers brought those extra ball screens with Melton to try to switch Fred onto uh, Harden and get Scotty out of the play, I, hard, I thought Scotty outside the first possession where he kind of got caught did a really good job fighting over those screens, which is something he's been talking about a lot recently. And defensively, I thought I actually had real no issues with it. It was more just offensively. Can you get something more out of OG or um, I guess OG I guess too, but can you get something more out of Fred and and, and Scotty? Because we're gonna have the same conversation over and over again. But to me, it's like the biggest thing this year is who's gonna be the number two behind Pascal. We know Pascal can be that number one. We saw again last cool. night, but who is gonna be that number two? The, like Fred and Scotty combined for fifteen points on twenty four shots. shots. Yeah. yeah, that's just not enough. No, it's not. And I, I agree with you defensively. Um, like I said, I thought maybe that was a bit of a message or uh, to try to get Scotty going uh, early on. And well, he did get two uh, quick fouls. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If that's and the and right like play. they were slow to bring him back in the fourth. Like he didn't come back in in the fourth until there were about two minutes left. It looked like maybe he was right. just going to be frozen out of the end game there. And then I think it was actually more that they couldn't get anything going offensively was the the reason they brought him back in. But I'm with you. I thought they did a good job. I thought for how much they leaned on him in his first game back from injury, OG was awesome defensively. And then, yeah, you look at the points of time where the Sixers were able to get more going offensively. It wasn't even really the Raptors doing anything poorly. Like there was that one stretch where the Raptors countered Philly's zone by coming out of a timeout in a zone as well. They get a couple stops in a row. And then I think Embiid and Tobias Harris both hit pull-up mid-range jumpers. And it's like against this team with Harden and Embiid and all the secondary scoring. And sure, no Maxi last night. But like you said, keep the offense in front of you. If that's how they're going to beat you, well, then shoot. That's how they're going to beat you. You you yeah. just held the 76ers to two very difficult long twos over the span of four or five possessions. Uh, you'll live with that. Offensively, yeah. I mean, they shot 11 of 40 on threes again, right? Like they, that's down around 27%. Fred Van Vliet comes off of three really good games overall and two really good games shooting the three and goes two for 11, misses, I don't know, four or five pretty wide open ones. That's the kind of thing that, like, again, back to my earlier point about how you can find your way to, oh, if this had been different or this had been different or if you keep playing this way, things will be better. You can do that, but it's happened a lot this year and it's hard to not come away from the way that game played out the final nine minutes, pretty frustrated and not just frustrated with the results, but also that, you know, precious Achua and Otto Porter have been out a pretty good chunk of time here. Gary Trent, you know, was playing such that he got moved to the bench for a little bit. Mm. Like when you have Siakam Van Vliet and Anobi and Barnes on the floor together, whoever the fifth is, you should know where the offense is coming from at this point. 
And I thought last night, especially, I mean, more more often than not lately, but last night especially was a pretty discouraging step backwards for the half-court offense that had at least been passable. Like the Golden State, Brooklyn, and Sacramento losses, those were defensive losses. They they oh, yeah. scored yeah. A, enough. Yeah. Um, I thought that last night was a, a bit of a step backwards in terms of the half-court execution. Yeah, well, I mean, look, first off, Complete credit to Pascal for what he did last night. Mm-hmm. I thought he really saw his team was really struggling. I think he likes this matchup. Um, not in the sense that, like, he sees some sort of defensive mismatches or anything like that. Um, but I think he likes the idea of playing against Joel Embiid. There's a uh, there's an adversarial relationship there. Um, I think that he's really gone into it with P.J. Tucker of late, and I think that sort of really spurred him on. P.J. Tucker is a, a classic type of player where it's like, if you are an actual star player, you torch this guy, and if you can't torch him and he looks like he's playing great defense against you, you're probably not that level of star. It's like a litmus test for stars in the NBA, P.J. Tucker, and I thought he did a, I thought Pascal passed the test. I thought he, he took it to P.J. quite a few times, had that scoop layup, which was really acrobatic to, to sort of uh, force overtime there, and I thought, you know, Pascal also took that chance to switch onto Embiid at the end of regulation, force him to catch it really far out, and... Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, he couldn't get the shot to go and beat. Um, so I, I thought, look, there's nothing wrong with what Pascal did. Even in overtime, he was setting guys up for wide open threes. He found Scotty for one open three. Scotty decided to dribble against Embiid and then threw up a bad shot. He found Fred Van Vliet wide open for three. And those were the two backbreakers where the Raptors were tied at that point at one-on-one. If Fred makes those two threes, you're suddenly up six in overtime. It really changes how that game is played. Instead, it's a huge letoff for Philly's defense, and it's another instance of Fred not delivering for the Raptors this season. But at the same time, when you look at the process of how this game went, I mean, you would think that the that the Raptors were running, you know, the Luka offense, you know? It, it's like Pascal every single time down. No one else touches the ball. No one else even looks to attack. No one else even looks to initiate. And, you know, with all due respect to Pascal and how well he played last night, he's not a Luka type. That's not how the Raptors are built that's not how they should be built. Someone else needs to be able to at least, obviously Pascal takes the lead, but guys got to be able to play off of them. And and, and that's where I'm looking at Scotty and, and Fred and, and, and OG and obviously everyone else on the team really, but I'm looking for those other guys to sort of follow up what he does. And of course, when he sits, when Pascal sits, the rare moments that he sits because he played 48 minutes last night, someone else has to carry the offense. And I thought that was another big letdown was that second quarter when Pascal sat, the Raptors just completely like dropped in intensity. Yeah, I mean, you plus minus in a single game isn't always a great thing, but like Pascal and Fred were both positive plus minus last night, and the reason is is there was that start at the that stretch you mentioned at the start of second where not only was Siakam off, but Fred was off as well, and that was those were the minutes with no Embiid, no Harden. That was your opportunity to really take advantage of that. And Philadelphia won the no MB, no Harden minutes significantly. And I know what the thinking was, and it was probably that the Raptors don't really have a chance of winning minutes against Harden and Embiid with only one of Siakam or Van Vliet on. So you try to just like survive those minutes, um, but missed opportunity there. In terms of the kind of, to, to use the, the buzzy nerd term, the heliocentric mm. offense kind of thing around Pascal Siakam, where, you know, everything kind of flows from him. I think that he is a good enough passer to try to 
you know, do that a little bit more. I thought the Raptors at least tried some interesting stuff. Like in, in addition to the plays you just outlined, there was also one where him and Scotty, Scotty kind of struggled to set the initial screen and they had to rescreen a couple times. But once they got that, Siakam found Barnes and Barnes found Fred for a wide open three that he missed. That was another good, uh, really good process. Um, but again, to my point earlier, like you should know better at this point how to play around you know that that main four or or they should know better how to play together so that's a little tough um luca also has the benefit of in dwight powell he has one of the best screen setters in the league and mm -hmm. maxi Kleber is a pretty good pick and pop guy as well and then he has three-point shooters around him too where like hardaway's passable spencer dinwiddie's really good christian wood is shooting almost 40 percent Kleber's good um they have davis when he plays he's got a lot of guys around him and of course the raptors just can't hit anything right now so even if you wanted to lean into like if you looked at last night and we're like look pascal could get 38 and six assists against really good teams let's do that more often you'd have to find a way to get more shooting around that because not only is that super depressing when his teammates shoot eight of 32 on threes around him last night so 25 percent non-siakam threes um but also like teams were not the, like the 76ers last night was the most extreme example, but we're going to see it more until the Raptors start knocking down some shots with regularity. Like that was the first time I can remember really Fred Van Vliet being treated like a non-shooter mm -hmm. by a defense. And we saw, we've seen them. This was the story of the last two years to progressively more zone against the Raptors and they can't really figure it out. So um, I don't think you can go like that with Siakam too often just because the environment around him isn't suitable to it. Um, that's not to take anything away from him. It's just like where we started in this conversation. You've, you've got to get more secondary stuff. And I think it's more than just, well, if Fred hits a couple of those shots. I, I think they should have a better idea of how to play around Siakam when he's this good at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and normally you would say that Fred has a really good sense of how to play with Pascal. But again, yeah. like you could have all the great senses. Like I thought he got into good open shots for threes. I like the process, but I mean, th there's no more liking the process. You need to deliver on the results, right? We're, 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 we're through like a third of the season now. The shooting percentages are what they are. They're just genuinely one of the worst percentages in the league for a guy who shoots 15 shots or more per game. And it's not like Fred dominated the ball. I thought he had self-awareness to sort of say, obviously, it's not my night. I'm going to move off the ball. But look, his role in the offense is to hit, catch, and shoot three-point shots. At one point last season... He was taking like 10 threes a game and on catch and shoots at least, he was shooting like 50% on those. And now we're, we're really just looking at the percentages and he's a below average catch and shoot three-point shooter now. And, and that really limits so much of his effectiveness to the point where it's like, okay, so maybe, you know, do you, do you go somewhere else? But and then again, the Raptors don't have a lot of other shooters. And, and that's this is where it's been really frustrating. Guys got to really know how to play off of Pascal uh, when he's doing that because, you know, this is, reminds me of that other Orlando Magic game where Pascal had, like, an amazing 37 points, I think triple-double, something like that, like, and they lose that one as well, you know? Or, or in that Dallas Mavericks game when he was really, really playing well and, you know, at one point in the first half was going shot for shot with Luka and it was like, okay, wow, okay, look at this battle of heliocentrism here. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and, and then, you know, you, you start losing out. So it, it's tough, especially because of the fact that, you know, Fred and Scotty were playing really well earlier in this week. Yeah. And it's it like, it doesn't make a lot of 
sense. And again, I go back to like not to I don't mean to hang this on nurse because it's a collective thing. This idea of knowing how to play better together. Like we talked a lot last year about how all oh, the main five guys hadn't gotten a ton of minutes together because of injuries. And that's true this year, too. But you look around the league at other lineup data and stuff and nobody really gets to. And two years in with this same core four, it shouldn't be going in the opposite direction. So even if you look at Fred Van Bleets and I don't want to bring this number up, but you mentioned the catch and shoot stats from last year. Will he's at 32.4% on catch and shoot Man. threes this year that he's actually shooting better on pull-ups than catch and shoot. Yeah. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. Like some of that will normalize, but also, yeah, like Scotty Barnes, his, his place in the offense. And I know that there's been, you know, early in the season, there were some butting heads about this. We've kind of kicked around. Is there, you know, is there more to that? But Either way, like his role in the offense should not have gotten tougher and stickier and less obvious. Like he scored 15 points a game last year without like doing anything. Like it was just hustle and transition, get second chance opportunities, be a chaos merchant when plays break down. And that's not there. And, you know, OG's not shooting as well this year. Who knows how much of that is the hand thing? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's too many little things all pulling in the same direction to, I guess, feel good about it all turning around. Now, who knows? Maybe everyone starts shooting better. Scotty starts playing better. Fred looks more himself. And the Raptors win like 30 games in a row now. Um, But it's getting harder to see all those things clicking to place, clicking into place in time and when i say in time i don't mean the playoffs because there's lots of time for that but in time for some pretty lofty decisions this front office is gonna have to make oh yeah we're, we're gonna talk trades in the second half and, and sort of how the raptors front office needs to step in here um but you know i just wanted to share this stat that uh someone on twitter linked me uh kevin o'connor tweeted this yesterday i think uh utah watanabe is making 53.7 percent of his catch and shoots <laughs> which ranks first among all 188 players this season with at least 50-plus attempts, 53.7%, uh, which I think was what Fred was at last year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is just such a long way from what the Raptors can be. And it, it's a shame because, again, they, they they gave themselves a chance defensively last night. Um, they played a, a good game. You know, their veterans stepped in for you. You know, Ken Birch brought some physicality. Thad Young brought you know, what Thad Young does and, and Wancho cut behind the defense a couple of times. And it's just like guys are sort of doing as much as they can possibly do. I think maybe Malachi could have given you a little bit more, especially considering how well he's been playing of late. Do you want to take a quick Malachi? Uh, is it a unit victory lap? I mean, I just know that you've, you've, you've been calling for him to get some playing time. He's get some playing time now. Your, your, your impressions, are you impressed? Is this just kind of what you expect? Any, yeah, any impressions? Yeah, it's... It's nothing spectacular. He can shoot the ball a little bit. And, you know, again, those they were all losses. But those three games before last night where <laughs> no, they played he, he was pretty well. well. He, he was playing well. Yeah. And, like, it looks good with two ball handlers out there. Like, that's another what way. A surprise. <laughs> not all floor spacing is based on three-point shooting. Sometimes it's about can you spread, spread the floor at the top horizontally by having two guys who are ball handling threats, two guys who can enter a pick and roll. And with Malachi and Fred, one of them can get off the ball. And, yeah, Fred's not shooting well, but teams generally respect them. Malachi, you know, still 
even if he cools off, like he's the only guy on your team shooting above league average on threes still. Um, other than Kem Birch, who's one for two, and Ron Harper Jr., who's two for three. Uh, you mentioned Utah. I just want to dig the knife in a little bit more, Will. Oh, you okay. know who else you know who else would lead the Raptors in three point percentage right now? Oh my god, who? O'Shea Brissett. What's 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 O'Shea Brissett saying? Thirty he's he's at thirty seven percent. He uh thirty seven percent will lead the Raptors is tough. Yeah, I mean, he he has more attempt. Like, Malachi's higher than that, but Malachi hasn't taken a yeah, lot of shots. Played, I think yeah, he's at, yeah, like, 50. And O'Shea wasn't playing, like, at all earlier this year, but now he's by the same thing that happened the last two years with him in Indiana where they don't play him, and then it's, like, every time he gets an opportunity, he takes off. So, um, you know, I'm just digging that in a little bit because they lost O'Shea so they could keep Yuta, and now Yuta's gone, too, <laughs> and they're both just... So what, what does this uh, mean? Wancho's due for a breakout year next year? Yeah, or Svee's going to start knocking down shots for the Knicks. Like, what, Raptors play the Knicks tomorrow? Raptors do play the Knicks tomorrow, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't, come uh, on, man. Okay, look, listen. I don't like doing the betting talk that much, but if I uh, if I take a look at those Svee Mihailu no lines way. tomorrow, they might, uh, they might be enticing to me. He's only Bing played 32 ball. minutes. He's only played 32 minutes this year, but like total or, or per game total <laughs> total. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's uh five for eight on threes though. How? Oh my God. Okay. You know what? The thing with speed too is just like, if, if, if speed Mahila goes off against the Raptors tomorrow, when, when the Raptors play the Knicks, like I, I think I might fully just flip into the other camp. And, and this is what we're going to talk about after the break is how much, losing will it take for the Raptors to to change the decision making because right now I think they're probably still on the fringes of okay look we balance out our our record a little bit here we got some close losses can we turn those into close wins and then we eventually retool and and add some pieces to this or do they go completely the other way or all the way the other way and just say you know what we really do need to just abandon this project so we're gonna we're gonna take a break uh, but I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by Blake Murphy. All right, so before the break, we teased uh, trade talk, you know, retool talk, uh, rebuild talk, all this kind of stuff. Um, look, I, I think, Blake, my assessment of this is that if anything does happen, I don't think it happens imminently. I think it probably will be in January at the earliest. I think as of right now, the Raptors have to continue battling through this with the team that they got. Maybe they get some guys back healthy. We'll see how long it takes for guys like, you know, Precious and Otto when they return, probably in the new year, how long it takes them to, to sort of settle back into the team and, and get into the roles and then all that kind of stuff. But 
eventually, especially if the team goes the way they're going right now, we're going to have to have a very strong conversation about whether they should be retooling or whether they should be rebuilding. Um, and Blake, for me, the the distinction there is rebuilding would be you're taking your core pieces, uh, you know, and, and you're looking at guys like, you know, OG or Pascal, you might have to move on to those guys, right? And that's like a rebuild to me. A retool is more like you're looking at some of your expiring free agents. If you're talking about Fred, if you're talking about Gary, if you're talking about some of the other bench pieces, and you move those guys in addition to some picks for more help around Pascal, around OG, around Scotty. I, I, by the way, I don't think in any of these scenarios Scotty moves. It's just, you know, look, if they weren't moving him for Katie in the offseason, he, he's not getting moved. Okay, so... um yeah, man, do those discussions look a little different right now? Oh, with come KD, on! Like on the MVP ballots and Scotty having a bit of a sophomore step back. Are you are are you saying they should have done it? Is that is that what you're saying? I yeah, I mean, I had to tiptoe around it all off season when people were asking. I was like, of course, you trade the rookie of the year for Kevin Durant. It's uh, you know, it's it's Kevin Durant, but. Who, who knows how those conversations went or what was actually on the table. The, the harder part was honestly that... Well, we know Scotty wasn't on the table. No, and and even if he was, the hardest part of that would have been, okay, how do you make up the other 30 million exactly, exactly. in salary matching? At that time, um, I think it would have been at least like two of Gary, Fred, and OG. Yes. And then who knows, is, extra picks or whatever. But you'd assume if you're giving them the rookie of the year, you're not giving them like four or five extra picks after that. No. No, yeah. but they didn't do it. So here we are. Um, Buddy, if I so, was a, yeah. if I was Bobby Webster, I wouldn't sleep at night, man. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. I'm already watching Brooklyn beat me four times already. And you're like, damn. At minimum, those would have been four wins there. Yeah. And you'd also have Kevin Durant, who's averaging 30 points a game, like, without blinking. You, you think but we whatever. still have our, our, our daily five-minute droughts? I think, actually, last night there might have been two five-minute droughts. You think there'll still be those uh those those night to night five minute droughts with KD? I don't think so because you could stagger KD and Siakam effectively, but also like a trade like that would have absolutely thinned you out a lot. So maybe right, the yeah. bench situation is even worse. Right, Although who knows? Maybe you get a bunch of those like one year minimum vets who are just ring chasing, mm. who aren't actually good, but can you know keep. You know, kind of the same impact that Cam and Thad have had, where it's just like, okay, this isn't like great, but it's not a disaster. Maybe yeah. you'd have more of those guys. To your actual question about rebuild, retool. I'm I'm more in the retool camp. Um, I think at this point, it's it's not hard to see things turning around for this team and they become a better version of themselves and are semi-dangerous come playoff time. But I think the gap between this team and Milwaukee or Boston is oh. wide enough that you have to take a look at, you know, when, when should you be pushing in and what does that look like? And what that requires is probably dealing the stuff that is not a part of your long-term future for something that could be a part of your long-term future. Now, I think the Gary Trent part of that is fairly obvious. I think, with guys like Ken Birch, Thad Young, Otto Porter, you like having those vets around, but if you're going into the retool path, you know, those are those are vets on expiring deals. If you can get much back at all, like if you can do the thing you did last year to get Thad, where you move up 15 spots in the draft, I think you explore that. And sorry, I'm referring to Thad as a as an expiring, even though he's not, because he has almost nothing guaranteed on the the second year of his deal. So he's effectively right. 
uh, an expiring if a team wants him to be. Here's the reality, too, is that, no, um, the Raptors are not going to be able to out-tank Detroit and Charlotte and Houston and those teams. They are, however, closer to those teams right now than they are to avoiding the play-in in the Eastern Conference. Like, they're four and a half back of the Knicks, who are in sixth right now, and they are four, they are five up on Charlotte, who are who have the second best lottery odds right now. We can do the whole lottery odds thing again, uh, um, but we're talking about the if you can't get to the very bottom, we're talking about small changes in percentages. The team is not going to shut down Pascal Siakam ahead of a potential monster extension and maybe another all NBA year. They're not going to shut down OG Ananobi one year out from being able to opt out. They're not going to shut down Scotty Barnes in the development year. Like, like this is the problem with the rebuild or tank talk is that you can't you can get away with that in the Tampa season. Eventually players and especially agents will push back on that because guys have more on the line than just wins. Oh, yeah. Um, so having said that, if we accept that even the best version of this team, if they can turn it around is maybe not on the level of Milwaukee and Boston and you're, you've dug yourself a pretty big hole here to turn around from anyway. Yeah. You've got to start looking at what can you do that puts you in a better position for the next, we'll say two years because Pascal Siakam probably has at least two years left in his prime because he entered his prime a little later because his game's um, fairly unique. Like, unless you have injury concerns, I think you can be pretty confident that he's got, you know, at least another two years around this level. And it's two years before Scotty Barnes's rookie scale extension would uh, take hold. So you've got to look at what can help you in these next two years. And that's kind of your, your next rolling window. Again, I think with Gary and some of the veterans, it's fairly straightforward. The Gary Trent Jr. fit made some sense on paper. It made some sense from a turning Norman Powell into something that would be around a little longer standpoint. I don't think the fit is is super great. I don't know that Gary Trent has been the happiest here. Um, and I think you could get something reasonable for him. All the vets on the table. The only thing that's a big question for me, because for me, Scotty Barnes and um, Pascal Siakam aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. OG Ananobi, like we have Zach Lowe saying on oh, the low post that you. you could get like a Don. So let's let's come back to that one. Yeah. Um, but the big question is like I think everyone below, everyone not a part of the core four, and probably Precious just because he's been injured all year, you'd get no value back for him. Yeah. But everyone below the core four is absolutely on the table. The big question is Fred Van Vliet, and a lot say, of that is, is that is that a core four? It's looking like a core three. Yeah, and it, and it might be, but I, you know me and, and what I think of Fred as a player and, mm-hmm. and like a cultural piece for this franchise and stuff. I don't think it's as easy as well as shooting percentages down and, and sell them, etc. And I know you're not framing it like that. I just mean that to say anyone below that line is very on the table. The Fred thing is more complicated because it's a lot about culture and there's a Siakam effect and there's also a what have your what have your conversations with him about potential next deals look like mm. and things like that. So mm. the Fred thing is, is much more complicated. I think you probably are at least talking about it or at least talking to him and Pascal about it and how they'd feel about it. Not that you want to let the players, you know, dictate things, but I think a healthy organization yeah, has those conversations a little bit. Um, where do you land on the Fred? Thing? Like, are you with me that 
anything below the core four is on the table, but Fred's kind of the big swing piece? Yeah, I, I think that has to be where you settle in. Um, I, I mean, look, there are games like yesterday, for example, where, you know, even if Scotty's having a bad game, he was pretty crucial to that game defensively. Um, even if OG's coming back from injury and he didn't score in overtime either, he was pretty crucial to that game defensively. And then, of course, Pascal was Pascal. With Fred, it was like, not only are you not getting the open threes made from him, which is like, whatever. At some point, you do, you know, it is a make or miss league, whatever, right? Obviously, we know he, historically he's made those shots. You, I believe that he can go back to making those shots. But you're hiding him defensively. You're not actually involved. I mean, he's not actually initiating that much for you offensively. And then when you're asking him to finish wide open threes, he's not making that for you either. That's where it's a little bit hard for me to say, long term, I'm committing to this as a core piece. I can understand all the other aspects of it. But to me, I'm just like... I would like to see upgraded guard play on the roster mm -hmm. eventually. And whether that means Fred upgrades his own play back to where he was at all-star level, which I'd be thrilled with. But if he can't show me that before free agency, then I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, I, I actually yeah. really need to see a very strong guard next to Pascal Siakam. It's the classic way you build NBA teams. You have a really, really good forward. You have a really, really good guard. Well, you know what dropped uh, while we were doing this episode, right? What dropped? a big Shams and Darnell Mayberry report at the athletic that uh, Levine and DeRozan continue to butt heads stylistically. And there have been a bunch of team meetings and stuff like that. Maybe I know that we've only got 10 minutes left, maybe the next uh, Tuesday show, or I think we're, we're off for a week and then Wednesday after that or whatever, but uh, maybe, maybe the buying option is uh, what would Zach Levine look like next to these guys instead of uh instead of selling off you you like gary with dunks because that's 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 kind of what it is. no i'm kidding i'm kidding he, he's he's better than that although although i he, he I've is but he's not like concerns. yeah he's got injury concerns he's got defense concerns he's got like if him and damar are butting heads about role and stuff like that like you're not going to come in and like he would be the 1b to siakam he would not be the 1a um at least he can hit threes yeah, uh, this is a tough combo. I really don't like this. Yeah, because, again, I know. Like, Sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done this. I just saw like Bulls Twitter's melting down about it. So, well, I mean, they're the other team in the East that's like truly, truly down bad. Like, so and I think they're is, pretty clear that they're gonna try to you know take this thing apart. So yeah, so this is this is a another like more philosophical question, I guess, for you. But like, in terms of what you could get back for these guys, yeah. And again, the Fred thing is a is a tough conversation, but let's let's say everything's on the table because the front office is unhappy with where they're at. And when you're in this middle tier, everything has to be on the table. There are probably at most nine teams, maybe 10 if Indiana keeps falling off. I think they'd like to make the play in given that that market has never really accepted rebuilding. Um, but nine the young or pieces. 10, they're good. Yeah. Nine or 10 teams that are probably going to sell. Maybe the bulls don't whatever eight to 10 teams. That means that 20 teams are theoretically buyers. Do you think there's any sort of like early mover advantage to if you put some of your guys on the table early in January? Like the, I, I tweeted this out. The only other times the Raptors have had losing streaks this long under Masai two were in Tampa. One was post deadline and the other two immediate trades after mm. the losing streak. 
Yep. No, that's true. Do you think there's a potential for them to get a little bit more out of this by moving quickly? Okay, well, first off, the, the one trade you mentioned was a really good trade, which kicked off this whole era of Raptors yes. basketball. Uh, that was early in December. We're already actually past that point in the calendar. Yeah. Um, the other one that you mentioned was right up before the trade deadline, and then they were able to get P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka, which I actually think really helped reinforce that team. Now, that team in 2016 had a, or 2017 had a much better record. Um, and, of course, you knew that Colin DeMar could work together, maybe not in the playoffs, but definitely, like, in the regular season, it was leading to a lot of success. But they were able to add to that roster. Uh, that one actually does remind me a lot of this current situation, even though the Raptors are losing more, because of the fact that you have a guy like, you know, that year it was Pascal Siakam starting a small for or power forward, and it was just like, this rookie can't contribute right now. Why are you starting him all the time? It's not going to work for you. And then, of course, they went out and got that power forward in, in Serge Ibaka, right? This year, what I'm looking at is like, okay, Christian Coloco is your rookie who's providing very little for you in the lineup right now. Last night was the first game. He didn't play the whole game, actually, I think. I don't think he appeared at any moment. So that was his first DMP all season. Um, but you need to upgrade that center position. So I, I do think it's going to be closer to that. And and then, you know, that that's fine. But again, like, you can't necessarily ignore the reality of just where the Raptors are in the standings, right? Like, they are just – they just continue to slide, and they do have a tough schedule coming up. And if they can't stop the bleeding right now, the front office might have to look for more drastic things. And that's where, when you're thinking about your idea of the fact that there's probably, like, let's say 10 sellers and 20 buyers – well, then you get the reports from from uh, from Zach Lowe, who says, you know, the entire league wants OJ Anobi. Everybody wants OJ Anobi. If he ever gets traded, the price and the picks are going to surprise people because it might be on par with what the Cavs gave up for Donovan Mitchell. And by the way, the Cavs gave up Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, uh, their first-round draft pick, Ochai Obaji, and also three unprotected first-round picks. <laughs> So if that's the if that's what the Raptors could potentially get for OG Ananobi, and by the way, it's not like the Utah Jazz are 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 completely in the, in the dust now either. Like they they actually have gotten a lot of productive players out of that uh, whole offseason. But if that's what's on the table for OG, is is that something you entertain? I I know no one want, in the Raptors fan base wants to hear about trading OG. I understand that, but if that's the price, you got to have this conversation. Yeah, I mean, look. That, again, that depends a little bit on, like, have you had conversations with OG about what the next contract looks like? Well, I mean, um, if that's the if that's what the market is for him, the next contract is max. Yeah. It would be, look, if you do that, you more or less have to commit to the more aggressive. No, it's not even a retooling at that point, right? Like, oh, you're trading your second like, best player. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, a type of guy that you have basically custom built to be the best possible supporting piece around stars. Like it, yeah, there's a reason so every team. Yeah. yeah. Every team wants them. Um, I don't know, man, if you can get four unprotected first round picks uh, for a guy who you took 23rd and, and who you're maybe not sure you're paying his next contract to. Yeah. You'd have to think about that. I, I don't know if, you're actually getting four unprotected first round picks, but anytime a deal like, like, and it's not even about the picks. It's like, okay, well in the off season, could you turn around and use a couple of those to retool more quickly than you can with just a straight player for player trade um, that opens up a lot of possibilities for you. I would have a very hard time seeing OG and Obi go elsewhere, but you know how uh, I feel about OG and no, listen. So, we would have a hard time seeing any of these guys out go elsewhere. They've been really eh, hard serving players. Not all of them. Okay, all right. We we know you got a Gary agenda. It's all good, man. We got Gary Trent Senior in the studio, uh, 
you know, occasionally. So I'm just going to, you know, keep keep a neutral stance on this one. But no, I think, oh, man, see, <laughs> I'm not trying to hear that, okay? Um, love his outfits. Uh, but you're like, yeah, these guys have all been really hardworking, you know, players for the Raptors who have, you know, served great roles with the team. We've seen them develop. We've seen them grow. A lot of them have only been Raptors in their lifetime. So, what you know, the idea of talking about trading Fred, who we've seen come in as undrafted as the fourth point guard and make his way into becoming a champion and contributing there and, and becoming an all-star, There's, it, it's not easy for a lot of people to, to swallow even the idea of sort of moving a guy like that or moving, God forbid, Pascal, if you really, really want to tear everything down to the studs and if you wanted to move OG, who, again, it's another guy you drafted or all these other players because of the fact that they've done great things here. But again, this is where, this is where you got to help themselves. Like they have to help themselves by winning some of these games. Like, Mm -hmm. well, for every single one of these close losses, it puts them closer to these conversations where the front office really has to consider, do we go the other way? You know? And yeah. And that's it. If you had gone three and three over this stretch and there were several, we don't have this during that stretch. We're like, that's cute that you want OG. you, You can't have them. Yeah, they'd be sitting there at 16 and 15. They'd be only a game and a half out of the play-in. And we'd once, like this whole episode would have been about, hey, Christian Coloco wasn't in the rotation last night. He got his first DMP. <laughs> who who might be out there as like a 15-minute-a-game rim-protecting option wow. from one of those eight or nine potential hey, you sellers? you want Nerlens Noel? I mean, it, it's not a, there aren't a lot of good players out there <laughs> yeah. uh, available yet, but that's where you'd be at. So yeah, this it's to use the old David Priceism, if you don't like it pitch better. The the Raptors are in some control of this mm-hmm. by losing winnable games. So yeah, it's it's time for hard conversations. I get it. People would be I I it would be tough. It would be tough for a lot of reasons. These are guys who are top 15 in all-time Raptors like minutes and games played. It's yeah. not an easy thing. No, exactly. Um well, you think they'll win tomorrow, Blake? I uh, no. <laughs> I'm really here being. Are you winning, son? <laughs> I don't feel great about things, right? I Come think on. when we talk again in two weeks, the tone will be similar. You're not excited for uh, Tom Thibodeau versus Nick Thibodeau tomorrow? You know, I'm I, excited. I, I, I just don't think they're gonna win. I was looking at the Knicks roster and I was like, you know, it's kind of similar. You know, Jalen Brunson's your friend. You know, uh, Scotty's your uh, your RJ, and then. You know, uh, Randall's your Pascal. Like, you know, roles-wise, it's kind of similar. But, yeah, I know somehow the Knicks are actually have more wins than the Raptors by, by a few. So we're going well, to have to go here. they got rim protection. they got Isaiah Hartenstein, who would be the best rim protector on the Raptors. God damn. All right. We're done here today. I'm your host, <laughs> Willu. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks again to Blake Murphy for joining us on the show. Thanks to board producer Derek Brandeo, Jennifer Olnick for helping to the YouTube stream. Alex, get well soon. And I'll be back tomorrow to talk to you again. I'm